Hello and welcome to the Not A Games podcast, Glorious Board Games Edition. I'm your host, Tom Hatfield, and with me I have our regulars, Philip War, Cara Allison, and Craig Lager. Yo. Hello, yay. Hello. And special guest, Paul Dean of Shut Up and Sit Down. Hello, hi. Hello. Hi, this is our first, this is our first five-person podcast, so we might talk over each other a bit. Hooray. <laughs> um, so, Paul was just explaining about tra- trains. Trains. It's not a good uh, name <laughs> yeah. for a game. We want to clarify, is it just trains? Is it trains exclamation mark? So, trains, or is it trains? I think it's trains without any punctuation, so it's just kind of trains. <laughs> well, maybe they should do it like pink and have the I being an exclamation mark. Oh, God. Maybe. Immediately, what you've all what you've all done is you've had better ideas for the name of the game. <laughs> Replace the I with a one, so it's. No. <laughs> do you know what it should be called? It should be called. It should be called Choo Choo's because <laughs> Choo Choo's is like way more emotive. I feel emotionally attached to something that's called Choo Choo's. I choo Is that just because of the Simpsons Simpsons thing? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, do not name your game after trains. It's wrong. At least add something else after trains. <laughs> <laughs> this this is exactly what what Cara was saying, I guess, just before we recorded that the board games board games are great, but they don't always have really good PR or anything. And the people who know they're good are the people who already know they're good, so you don't have to sell them to board gamers, but you should have to sell them to other people. You know, that's how you expand your market. I think maybe that I could be the PR, and I would call it Trains of Doom, <laughs> and it would just be like Doom Trains, and, and then you, you get know, su- sued by it. Yeah, yeah. So not much what does, what does trains involve? Because in my head, when someone says there is a board game called Trains, I picture a board with two trains just on top, like plonked up. <laughs> you know, I, I I, there's no po- sense of rules. There's no sense of of game. There is just trains. I've just got Thomas the Tank Engine and Gordon, <laughs> and then the fat controller in the middle of the board. That's how I'm thinking of it. Well, immediate digression, and I do apologise for this. I did have a Thomas the Tank Engine board game when I was a kid, and it was just like that. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not kidding. that is probably going to sell more than this game that's just called Train. Well, that, that's the thing. It, it possibly did. The, the Trains board game is actually pretty good. And the idea is you have, as, as we all do in our world of strategy games, you have a world made of hexes. Oh, yeah. um, and it has different bits of Japan, and the idea is you connect them all up with trains, um, and you try and connect routes before other people do. A, a so, little bit like Ticket to Ride. Yeah, I was going to say it's Ticket to Ride. Surely. Well, it's um, yeah, I, it's got a similar kind of thing. I mean, I guess it's about trains and connecting places, but it, it has a mechanic that's called deck building, which is you start off with a, a few uh, cards in your hand, and you shuffle through these, and they give you certain powers like. They give you a basic currency or they give you the ability to do something on the board. And the idea is, as you go through your cards, you use your cards to buy other cards from a a pool in the middle of the table. And the other cards will be better and you'll add these to your deck. In a a way a little bit like magic, I guess, you'll gradually build up a a deck of cards that get better and better. So every time you're reshuffling your cards and you're dealing them out, you'll get better and better things. So you can do more exciting, more powerful stuff. The only problem being that as you build up your trains empire of trains where trains happen and there are trains, um, you get things called waste cards, uh, which are cards that do nothing, but they all get added to your deck. So you have a chance that when you draw your cards, there'll be cards that are just useless. And part of the, the challenge of the game, as well as conquering the board and getting better cards, is just managing your hand so it doesn't fill up with literal crap. So it's a bit like 
Dominion then? It's yeah. Well, Dominion is is also uh, a deck building game. You're right. Of um, but it, it seems to have popularized a lot of the deck building stuff within board games. That specific method of doing it anyway. Have you it's, played Dominion, Tom? I haven't. I've played a, a few games that have been basically that have been basically derived from it. Like um, is it um, is it Thunderball, the one that's essentially Dominion? Oh, Thunderstone. With, Thunderstone. That's it. Um, the one that's essentially Dominion, but trying to make it feel like a D and D campaign or something like that. Mm. It is. It's um, Dominion introduced this mechanic, and the, the cool thing about this mechanic, just like you get in video games, if someone comes up with a new idea for how to play a game or how to present it, everyone else can riff on that and do their own uh, interpretation. Yep. Like, I guess Dune. I don't know if Dune Two was the first real-time strategy game, but mm. you know when Dune Two came out on the PC in the '90s, and everyone thought, "Oh, it's a top-down. Right, I can see the battlefield, and I click on units, and I tell them where to go." And within a few years, everyone had their own spin on that kind of that kind of game. It's kind of interesting, like this, with the way that there are little genres that exist within board games, and sometimes also that crossover between like board and card games. I um, a while back, I actually talked to uh, Jay Wilson, who from Fantasy Flight Games, who did like Blood Bowl Team Manager and stuff like that. And um, he, I was talking to him about it, and he said that even though they put on the box that it's a card game, he considers it a board game because ah. yeah, because. Uh, the way it uses positioning and the way that a lot of the deck building mechanics uh, obviously have a lot in common with things like Dominion. Well, there's a gradual, I think, there's a gradual sort of um, crossover, increasing crossover between board games and card games and role-playing games. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And video games. Um, You've got things like some of the more recent, I think, incarnations of the Warhammer tabletop role-playing games have... um, card-playing mechanics in them. Yeah, Warhammer fantasy role-play, whichever edition they're on now, that, that does... I think it's Cards for Magic Powers. I haven't had a chance to play it, though. I've, I've always wanted to, but it's really hard to organise. Because yeah. uh, unlike other role-playing games, which you might be able to play over the internet or whatever, you, it's got special dice and cards, and it's, no, you need to be a person. <laughs> You've got to be in the same place. Yeah. Um, and things like D&D, 4th edition D&D, which came out mm. a few years ago now, was really, really influenced by things like uh, World of Warcraft. And it was slimmed down, it was turned into a more combat-focused game, and it's it's a game with um, more and more cool-down concepts, for example. Here are your powers, you use this power, it takes this long to cool down, you use it again. And it's a bit like playing World of Warcraft yeah. in that way, a bit like going into a fight and you can use this power again in 10 seconds' time. And that's exactly where they drew the influence from. It kind of feeds in all directions. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm conflicted about that because I play 4th edition d and I think that actually it's more of a nuisance than anything else to try and remember when the last time you used that power was and ah. how many times you can use it. And I actually don't think it works in, in the actual tabletop version at all. Um, and I think that that's because, partly because the two converged ways for a reason. You know, tabletop actually is more about a conversation that you're having with people Um well, actually, that's not true because in World of Warcraft it is. But like, essentially, in World of Warcraft, if you've got a party where you're chatting away to each other, you can't really change the mechanics so much because you've essentially automated all the processes mm. um, or a lot of the processes that are annoying to play, you know, on tabletop. And I don't enjoy so much like um, tabletop mechanics where you roll a dice and you make calculations because I think that's the reason I play board games because mm. they do those calculations for me. What I really like about tabletop is is actually they essentially like chatting to each other so i really like very reduced mechanics on Mm. tabletop where you don't have to do much calculation essentially it's just about how you interact with other players meaningfully Uh, sorry i think think there was a bit of a (coughs) divergence of time because i played a little bit of 
uh, I've played some fourth edition myself, and and you you're right, it can be over fiddly, but I think all D and D games have been. It's just yeah. that one just kind of thought, well, if all we do is beat up monsters in this game, let's at least try and make it interesting. And they did a lot of grid based stuff as well. It was very like Final Fantasy Tactics or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, it was. And I really enjoy the combat in those games, but more. But yeah, I like Kara. I do end up playing the more story driven games more often nowadays. Oh well, I was just going to ask you, Kara. Actually, what what did you think of it? You've you played other role playing games as well. Did you feel less excited by Fourth Edition D and D then? Um. To a certain extent, yes. I think actually to a certain extent as well, it really depends on um, your dungeon master. Um, I love saying dungeon master. <laughs> I just, can I just say like, it's fucking, it's the best, it's the best word, or best two words. Like this. These, uh, there's a bunch of systems that call them something different as well. And it's always something amazing sounding. Like, yeah. Apocalypse no. World calls you the master of ceremonies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love all these, but I, my favorite is Dungeon Master because in my head, it's just Nightmare, the uh, early 90s television series. I absolutely adore that thing. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it depends on your DM because essentially, um, I, you know, they can they can kind of bullishly um, make their way through the mechanics mm. side of it if they know the game very well and they can obviously get that over and done with a lot quicker um obviously you know these games get like they get easier and sort of more interesting the more experienced the players are and which i guess is true for video games as well but i mean i feel like video games video games take away that learning curve um and that's Mm. partly why i i prefer them now prefer video games to board games because that learning curve is incredibly steep i find for most things i mean even i i remember playing the board of game board of games (laughs) (laughs) game of thrones (laughs) um board game and thinking you know this is a really interesting game but i just like i've played it four times now and i just still really couldn't give a toss about it i mean i like the the i like the you know the the trappings of it because i like the books and i like the tv series but i just like the role playing could be done with like pen and paper in my opinion um it's interesting you mention that because we've been increasingly spoiled over the years by video games becoming better and better at telling us how to play them through either tutorials or through gradually introducing you know one element at a time and the thing with board games is it just falls out the box at the same time and you have to sit down with a manual and a lot of gamers used to do that in the 80s if you bought a, you know a really old microprose flight sim you'd oh, okay how do i fly my jet here's a 50 page manual but i don't know we don't do that much as gamers now do we we don't have to no. we don't have to but i mean there are some games that are like that you know they'll give you a massive manual um, say, for example, I'm talking about Baron Munchausen by our uh, lovely friend, um, oh, yeah. James Wallace, um, which is an excellent game, which everyone should play. It's basically you go to the pub with a few friends and it's a drinking game. And essentially you've got to tell the most outlandish story. Mm. And it's your uh, all of your friends uh, job to interrupt you with sort of contradictions or or. But I heard that instead, like, uh you know, that woman can't read when you said that she was the author of these famous books or whatever. And essentially, it's your job to sort of incorporate that or reject it and then give up the storytelling to them if you can't incorporate it into your story. And, you know, and it's all based on buying rounds of pints or whatever, rounds of drinks. So, you know, you end up buying rounds depending on who's winning. But um, 
But I think that with that, it's like the book itself is like a sort of very small, it's like a novella size, I guess. And it's all just flavor text. The core of the rules is that what I've just explained to you. Um, And the rest of the book is just fabulous sort of flavor that you can read if you want, which is really cool. I I mean, I've played some very good games with extremely slim rule sets. Um, Everyone is John. It's quite an interesting one in which you all played the voices in the head of a disturbed man called John. Uh, and basically bid for control of him with all your different ideas. Um, and that's basically it. You get to, you, and um, you, there's a very simple dice roll. It depends on whether you can do it or whether you can do something or not. You have like two skills and that's it. And most of the function is around the fact that you're all secretly trying to do a thing whilst alternating control of one person. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, like, and, and I really just like the storytelling aspect of stuff. Like, you know, in, in Daisy, Day where you, or Day Z, as we would call it, um, when you essentially just make the story yourself, it's just mm. a playground in which you are a character and you get to sort of are surround and do whatever you like within the sort of rules that the environment has created for you. And that's, again, a way that I regard pen and paper as being like, for example, my favorite pen and paper is Lady Blackbird. I think me and Pip are going to play tomorrow. And Hooray. Yay! Um, actually, Paul, you can come to you if you want. Um, in, Brighton. in Brighton. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Uh, well, it's not that expensive. It's like a tenner there and back. Anyway, um, so essentially, uh, Lady Blackbird is just um, a kind of pen and paper version, like role-playing version of uh, Firefly. It's a sort of steampunk Firefly. And it's just a really basic set of rules. And you get character sheets. And then you basically you just like, go. And if you get in a fight, you roll a dice and you see what the outcome is. And that's just really bare bones role-playing. But it's extremely enjoyable because of the way that it's constructed by the designer. So yeah, it's really cool. Just the, the chatting amongst people. And that's probably the main my main favourite thing about games. Mm. But is there something that you think of Possibly Paul or Tom or anyone really, um, that the manufacturers could do better then. Because when I sit down with a game and just look at the rules, I do not learn from reading rules. I just can't seem to do it. I learn from like playing and, and doing the actual thing. And yeah. so with board games, that is such a massive it's... barrier to entry that I, you know, like we played, um, was it Memoir 44? Yes. Um, which is just so complicated. And if you and Quinns hadn't been there to say, right, and then we do this and then this happens and, you know, you should probably be thinking about this kind of thing at this point. Like, I wouldn't have even picked up <laughs> my army hat and started well, fanning around like, with soldiers. I think a good robot can make a massive difference to things like that. Because I think, if I remember right, like Mage Knight runs you through a fake campaign to basically teach you the rules and like it will tell you why everything's happening which is a really good way to learn it mm-hmm. and also i think the trend seems to be unfortunately that fantasy flight which is what most people like fantasy flight games what most people tend to start with in my experience don't do particularly good rule books no they don't but then if you pick up something like um i don't know like eclipse which is actually quite complicated the rules for it are so the rule book for it is so good it's a lot easier to learn even though it's more complicated than probably most of the fantasy flight stuff you know it- Generally. It makes a massive difference. Um, and I'm, I think you're right, Craig. Um, Mage Knight and there are a few other games developed by the same company. They, they do a thing where they try and put a tutorial section in the manual that actually takes you through like a demo game. Yeah, that's um, kind of a video and, game thinking bleeding into board games there. And I think it's 
There's a reason why that's the only way we really learn things in video games nowadays. It's because it's really good. The thing is, I also agree with Pip that a lot of people just, you learn by doing things. It If you're reading instructions beforehand, it's all kind of abstracted from the process. Yeah. I think, um, especially RPGs, but to a lesser extent, board games kind of, a lot of them run off the fact that there is almost always the one person who's bringing the rule book and knows what they're doing and has to and explains it to everyone else. I mean, yes. obviously in RPGs, the, the GM is almost always the person who knows the game best. But in board games as well, I almost I always find that there's someone who's bringing the who whoever owns the game who has probably played it before is the one explaining it to the rest of us. It can yeah, be an absolute like nightmare that, as well. Mm. Like I remember uh, having to teach um, War of the Ring to a couple of people, and that like the rule set for that is not. It's very inconsistent with when things happened and things like that. So, like, I remember having to watch like three hours of tutorial videos to learn it, and then you're trying to convince somebody to play it with you. So then you sit down and do it, and you have to like convey all of this information in one go without them just getting scared and running away. And it's horrible to do. <laughs> I hate doing it. I've got to say though, people recording uh, themselves playing on YouTube is incredibly helpful in that regard. Oh yeah. I basically, yeah. I learned that remember from just watching people on YouTube. I was it's the, it was much easier than reading the rule book. The thing is, I really like it when somebody else knows what they're doing and will, you know, like explain to you what's going on. It really helps. And it also sort of feeds into the whole social side of board gaming. And it's part of why I actually fell in love with Dota, because it, it, it didn't have tutorials at that time. So, you know, it meant that you had to have your friends explain to you what was going on. And that was actually a really nice sort of way of of doing that and that was I think that was partly why so so massively into Dota is because of the board games but then conversely it does mean that when Quinn's for example it's not to tell you some of the rules either by accident or on purpose you are completely at his mercy until he suddenly goes oh yeah actually there's this thing that I can do and though you seem to be dead and you're like like, hmm yeah this is my problem with it is that every the person who brings the board game to the table is going to know all about it and Mm. know more than you and it's going to become kind of unfair because of that and i i don't like that uh, like that that lack of balance like when you get in a multiplayer game uh online with people who've never played it before you're all going through this process whereas actually if you're trying to learn how to play a board game with like all people who've never ever played it before i don't find it particularly fun at all it's a lot of like each take turns to read the rule book now let's see if we can like play a turn and then it's always going to go wrong or people are going to be like looking up rules all day and i find it very frustrating the worst thing is when you're halfway through something like Twilight Imperium, which takes about nine million hours, and then you suddenly realise you've all been playing it wrong, or yes. like if you realise, oh, if I'd only actually understood how my character worked, then I wouldn't have done any of the stuff I did in this first half of the game, and I'd actually be able to win. And it's, it's that thing of when you can just see defeat, but three hours away, and you're like, yes. Eh. Right, but on the, on the <laughs> other hand, there are some really excellent board games that are based on very simple rules that are really easy to grasp, like straight from the straight from the out. Like, I mean, Netrunner is really difficult to get used to, and me and Kieran uh, used to play together, uh, like trying to learn how to play it. And essentially, we just by the end of it, like Kieran be like, "Oh, actually, you know, this player should get like five credits in the beginning of like their turn each time." And I'm just like, "I hate you, Kieran. I hate you. This is this disadvantage me." Problem. <laughs> exactly, but um, things like, for example, Space Hulk. Um, Space Hulk is incredibly easy to get to grips with from the beginning. It's massively atmospheric. Um, it uses like a timed element, I think, as well. 
And essentially, it's it's really easy to grasp, and it's like, uh, you know, last time I played it again with Kieran, who is my nemesis. Um, essentially, um, it, it's kind of like um, like staring each other down. Like it kind of you sit across the board from each other, and essentially one person is trying to outwit the other person, and you both know the rules fairly well because you've played it two or three times now, and that's it. And it's really intense because the rules are very, very like they've they've been reduced uh, to these like very simple, very brutal rules, which I think is excellent and easy to learn. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Kara, because um, Pip's just been mentioning Dota. You've mentioned Netrunner, and they're both. I suppose the concepts behind them are quite simple, but they're both games with loads of possibility, loads of, you know, things that can happen. And Netrunner, oh, yeah. I learned Netrunner kind of quickly, but I, I don't know Netrunner at all and I'd be terrible at it because there are so many cards, there are so many combinations. So. Yeah. I mean, there's a deck is, is it building. The depth that you like? Sorry? Sorry. Is it the depth that you like? The, the many things that can happen? Do you know what I really like about Netrunner is actually, I, I mean, the mechanics feed into a narrative. And that's actually what I like the most about video games as well, is the idea that the mechanics of the game might actually create a narrative. Because what happens with Netrunner is that essentially the theme of it is that you're hacking someone and the way the mechanics play as well um, is also, it feels like you're hacking through firewalls. It feels like there's a physical obstacle that you're getting through um, it feels like you're actually sort of trying to get inside the mainframe and all like 90s weird cyberpunk terms. But essentially, it's a game about a story. It's, it's about making a story. It's about trying to outwit the other person and thinking that you're in a certain mindset. And I think that that's actually its huge strength. Mm, okay. Because I think I actually a lot of the time like the role-playing elements of board games a lot more than I like anything else about them. But Netrunner is interesting in that the actual play of the game is the story. Well, that makes sense to me immediately. Um, And it sounds like things you've said today or things you've told me before that you are quite keen on any game that has kind of basic rules and then it sort of lets you go and lets you interpret what's happening. I mean... You mentioned uh, Munchausen, which is extremely good and which is learned in about five minutes, isn't it? But you yeah. can endlessly replay it. Yeah, and, and you can buy the book yourself and then like just read it like it's a kind of, you know, like short set of short stories or whatever, because you can you can actually read it like it's just a normal book and take it to bed with you and be like, oh, you know, that's a, an amusing story about how long a beard <laughs> grew on a man, you know, who was wearing a lot of tweed and patches. Um, but yes, I mean, it's, that's kind of just flavor, isn't it? It's more that the actual yeah. core mechanic of it is interesting. So d- can I sort of just ask everyone generally what their, their favorite board games are or what their best board game experiences have been? Uh, I can go for this. Uh, I, th- I think my favorite board game right now is probably Eclipse because it has quite a big rule set, but it's not difficult to get hold of because everything's quite consistent with how it works. Like, you just spend action points to do things, and, like, the actual amount of different things that you can do is only, like, six things. But it ties together really, really well. Um, and it basically just turns into this, like, great 4X, and it feels quite video gamey. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I've not had a bad game of it. But the best board game experience I've had was probably with Battlestar, because it has, like, a fantastic traitor mechanic in it. Um, and just being able to turn people against each other where they're shouting at each other across the table and like try and with frustration because they can't show each other cards that would prove a theory wrong. 
but the, like having people just completely confused at the same time as what's going on, it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, but it's not consistently good, and I think it's unbalanced, but that's been just... It's, at a few moments in each game, which has just been perfect. Can I ask, has anyone here ever played a game of Battlestar Galactica where the humans have won? No. <laughs> no. I don't think I've ever played it. No, no that's all not. I don't think I've ever seen the Resistance win the Resistance either. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, that one. That, 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 that might just give me being crap. Uh, <laughs> I don't really like the Resistance, and I think I I'm pretty the much in the minority because I just... I, I don't... I like the I, principle of it, but... I've only played the, the very original version, and I think I would prefer the more complicated versions like Avalon, because it feels like there's not quite enough there that um, but things run in a very... Once you figure it out, things run in a very similar way. Avalon adds uh, a lot more to do and a lot more to think about, and I think once you've played Avalon, you don't really want to go back to regular Resistance, because you know you have the hidden characters, you have extra roles, extra things for people to consider, and it doesn't really make it that much more complicated. Yeah, but um, one of the things I did like about Battlestar is that it makes it, all the other stuff you have to do kind of keeps you distracted, so you're not always playing the optimum spy game. Mm, yeah. I, do, I really I love Battlestar, but it does get frustrating knowing that the humans are going to lose every time. <laughs> And also, it has this one stupid rule if you've got an even number of players, like introduces this other, uh, what's it called? Oh, the sympathizer. The sympathizer mechanic, which is just it's really lame because it guarantees that like one person is just going to have a really boring game of it. Yeah, then, I mean, yeah, and the only house rule I know to get around that is to let them be a full Cylon, which makes the game even harder. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's a shame. I, saw, like, I don't know, it feels like it can go on a little bit too long sometimes. And like a lot of the time, it just doesn't feel even at all. Like the the silence is just running away with it. And sometimes that can just be luck of the draw. But actually, the the one time I did play Battlestar Galactica was one of the worst versions of that situation, which Cara and Pete were talking about, where um uh Marsh Davis and, and Graham Smith, the comrade, came around to our house to play it. And it was Marsh's game. He played it the most. Graham had played it quite a lot. And me and Tom Senior, who were also playing, it, never played it at all. Of course, they were both Cylons. Mm. <laughs> we were both the humans. They were like. President Baltar and Admiral Adama, we were just two pilots. <laughs> it was just, oh god, there's no way we yeah, can do that. this. It is like, it's a fantastic game to play though, especially like if you're playing a Cylon as well, it's just brilliant because it feels so tense and like you get completely paranoid. Um, I guess it's similar with the resistance to that sort of thing, but I've never actually played that. But yeah, the, any I think anything with the traitor mechanic I'm just drawn to because it's so much fun to be a traitor. Yeah. Okay, I guess I'll go. Um, I, to be honest, I don't know if I've already played quite a wide enough breadth of board games to declare a favourite, but I'm going to talk about Pandemic, cause, which I really like, because for one thing, you don't have to worry about that sort of uneven skill level, which almost always comes up in board games I've played, because you're all on the same side. And I really love the way in which um, the way in which it sort of builds the cardboard AI from just drawing cards and from the way in which the, the cube spreads. So, uh, Pandemic, if I haven't said it before, it's a... Um, it's a game in which you all play as members of the Centre for Disease Control trying to stop disease from overwhelming the world. And there's like, um, and different diseases will, by turning over cards, different diseases will appear in different um, cities. And like, um, when, when, it reach, when a city reaches a certain level of disease, it will send disease cubes to all the other cities around it. And you get these horrible moments of like, where you've got something really precarious and then something tips it over and there's just like, it spreads all, it spreads across a continent in like, in one turn. Uh, which is, is it's amazing. It really feels like like a virus. Um, and also, that's also a great one. We always end up naming diseases. 
Uh, deciding one of them is zombieism and the other is runny noses. <laughs> I love mechanics like that where the board is just sort of running away with you. Like Arkham yeah. Horror does that quite well, and uh, Ghost Stories are just like, oh, we're fucked now. Oh, we're even more fucked now. Yeah. Oh, we're absolutely <laughs> fucked now. It's every game I've played of it has always come ridiculously close. Like we have won on the last turn, and it, ha- it has difficulty levels. It's the only board game I've ever played that has a difficulty level just by shuffling a certain. You get like three epidemic uh, fire six epidemic cards which um which cause really bad things to happen and the amount of them you shuffle into the deck sets the difficulty of the game um so uh, yeah i'm really i just if i always feel really impressed when i see something that seems to be running a, a basic ai system just from a deck anyone else i like the storytelling aspect of things so i do like karen uh, so I do really like the um, the resistance, but I also love like Dixit as well. Oh, Dixit! Um, yeah, Dixit's nice. lovely. It's you've got all these uh, different beautifully drawn cards, and you are trying to communicate which card you're talking about without getting everyone to guess it. So it becomes a kind of you know in jokes and. Um, Battle of vagueness. And, yeah, and yeah. in-jokes and things like that. I love, also love the thing about Dixit is that it's a game about art in which you lose if everyone gets it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> your art is too popular, so you lose. <laughs> well, basically, my my biggest pet peeve is playing Dixit with new games journalists. <laughs> it's the fucking worst. I would never do it again. It's just really difficult. Um, so I try to play it with people who don't do writing for a living. Um, it's actually like slightly easier for me to get on <laughs> because if you try if you try to be subtle with it even then like people are like oh, i know you cara and then they're just like okay i've guessed it <laughs> first the other game that i really like for storytelling is is it city of horror um because oh, yes. you end up with all these amazing arguments where you're basically taking on your character and you're arguing for why your fellow players shouldn't throw you out of the hospital to be eaten by zombies. And it's like, I'm a four-year-old child. And they're like, yeah, but your special power is to hide. So go outside. <laughs> yeah. We aren't doing very well. My, fa- <laughs> so, yeah. my favourite is... Um... When you when you play that board game with Brandon, Brandon's just like, well, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, I don't <laughs> care. Me over forever. On the last turn for no good reason. It was so annoying. He was just like, I'm gonna throw you out. I was like, but but why? I you know we had an alliance, and he's just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, Have you played um, Infinity Dungeon, which is fantastic uh, for storytelling like that? It's just uh, a deck of cards. It comes in the, uh, the minigames library, oh. and you get, basically each person gets a character like dealt to them, um, and the characters can be like a postman, uh, a warrior, a hunter, um, you could just be you. Um, so like if you're you, then you are literally you, and you have all the things that you have <laughs> with you right now. Um, or you could be like a celebrity, and everybody chooses who the celebrity will be. And but does um, that mean that you turn up at the board gaming table thinking that it might be you, and so you've got pockets stuffed with like flick knives and you know <laughs> like cake and you know just in case for every eventuality. Yeah. So sorry, Pip. Pip, you thinking what might I need to go into an infinite dungeon? <laughs> your your choice was flick knives and cake. <laughs> we've met right i live my life like the tiger who came to tea there is gonna be cake <laughs> um 
so basically what happens then is that one person gets and it rotates so one person will get um a, a situation card and a room card i think this is right and another person's classed as the as the games master and these like rotate around so the after each round you swap who's doing that um and whoever is uh like leader has to look at the situation card which will be like you're in a new room and there's spikes on the floor and a big rotating axe and you have to get to the door and escape um but then each so they have to think of a plan which will get there but then they have to bear in mind that everybody's different characters so like they can say okay so we jump over the spikes and whatever whatever um is everybody okay with this plan and then it'll get to the postman and it will say i'm not okay with this plan because i haven't delivered a letter to anybody this turn so then he has to like reincorporate that into the plan and just go through everybody and try and make everybody happy so it just like turns into this like crazy spiraling story of just trying to get everybody through this room Hmm. um one of the characters is fantastic it's like it's just a a train driver and they have a full train with them (laughs) wow (laughs) so someone's like yeah like basically i've just got this vision of someone like striding through the door with a giant train underneath their their arm so like they're great to have because the plan is like okay so we all get in the train and then we just drive that full throttle forward to smash through the thing and get to the door (laughs) But then, like, I think there's an archaeologist who said, it, but and their stipulation would be, well, I can't destroy anything on this level. <laughs> so it's, it's brilliant. It's a fantastic game. For, like, you know, these dynamic stories, it's great. So I mean, all the stuff that cool. you guys have described is all um, pretty much interaction-based between other players. And it's all of it sounds like the kind of stuff you could never, ever do in a video game because you'd, you'd have to have an incredibly expansive framework. It, it, it all sounds like this kind of stuff that's really easy to do around a table and really impossible to just improvise in a game. Is that a fair assessment? I'm well, not like, sure that's true. You have, you have games that can act as catalyst, catalysts for similar things. I mean, the most obvious one is Artemis, I guess, because it's just a framework for role play, essentially. Um, but yeah, there are other games where, like, you know, I've been chatting to friends and it's sort of escalated in weird ways or you know you do make an interesting point i think because when i think of like board game e stuff on um in video games i think of solium infernum which i think would have been better if it was actually a board game yeah i agree that'd be fantastic uh, though it would probably have been really fiddly to play it, <laughs> it's even fiddlier to play online because you're constantly sending files back and forth i mean i suppose it might have it could have given itself a better online functionality but even so it feels more like you know, actually sitting around a table pretending to be demons and threatening to invade each other's parts of hell. That sounds mm. like a fantastic experience. Uh, I mean, Kara, you said it's maybe not quite true. It's not. Well, I mean, some of those games, like a certain bar, certainly Baron Munchausen, probably wouldn't work <laughs> over the internet. I mean, unless you had some sort of pack to like be on Skype or in Google Hangout with, like, the bottles of rum in front of the camera. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, yeah. I don't know. Have you got some that... free time next week? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, but uh, I guess that one is specifically designed so that it maximizes the use of an environment that may serve liquor. Um, <laughs> but, yes. Um, but I think in terms of, like, Dungeons & Dragons in particular, I actually think in some ways world of warcraft is an equivalent to it um i guess what i think is cool about board games is 
the certainly the social element of them um like being like in the same room for example for rps i reviewed 1996 dream phone <laughs> electronic dream phone oh, yeah and um and that was really it was fun to have friends together to do that and to play it and i played it a few times but it's essentially a broken game and you can play a broken board game that's not very good with some really great people and have about the same amount of fun i think as if you played say netrunner and it's not a broken game and it's an excellent game and functions well um so i think that it's weird because it's it's similar with video games in some ways as well because say daisy was completely broken as a game but you could almost just play it it would still be fun yeah (laughs) you could (laughs) exactly you could you could still play that game with some really great people and still get something out of it um i think it's just i i think at their core like board games are the same as multiplayer video games in in the sense that they are acting as a kind of core um sort of reason that you might actually get people together to do something um but yeah like i think um I think some games, board games, would function very well as video games, and I think some video games would function very well as board games, but I think essentially uh, I, I have a problem a little bit with how expensive board games are um, and and how, you know, how easy it is to lose pieces and how, I mean, a lot of the time they're not always um, expensive, but um, I keep going into like into places to buy board games I'm thinking, God, there's no way that I can afford to pay for that. Um, I keep yeah. going into places to buy them, look at the price, and then look on Amazon and find that they're a lot cheaper, so don't, which is a shame. But the thing that I do really like about spending money on board games is that you actually get a thing now. Because yeah. you're so used to, like, Steam, like, you don't, you know, you chuck your money at it, and you don't, I mean, you get this file, and it's like, this. it's just nothing, it's... But like with a board game, you get a box and you get to open it and then you get to look at all the things and like clip about with all the cardboard and it's like it's really pretty and you get to roll about the dice and I, I love that. I really miss that about games. Because so like, you used to get, you know, big yeah. boxes and instruction manuals and that was amazing and I really miss that. Yeah. One thing that's interesting is, well, obviously not very many board games can do this, but in terms of things like card games and RPGs, there's a lot, been a lot more experimentation with digital stuff and with low price points like there's the bundle of holding now which is the humble bundle for rpgs oh um, yes there's i think cards against humanity at one point they couldn't they couldn't shift them fast enough so they started but they, they, they would um send people sheets to print off their own cards mm. yeah you know i've actually had i've never played cards against humanity as a card game but i've played it online quite a lot and i think that is one of the things that it might even work better online mm. <laughs> um, just because I mean like I think it's that and possibly diplomacy like our board games that I've played online only but I I think playing them as with physical things would just be more hassle I, I don't know it's pretty simple to play and I think a lot of the enjoyment of it relies on knowing the person who has made the horrible horrible joke and being able to look in their eyes and see their shame <laughs> yeah yeah the weird I mean, thing about that was, because um, they were at game camp, weren't they? Um, and 
I went along to the session and it actually turned out to be them region crowdsourcing suggestions for Cards Against Humanity, but for like a UK edition. Mm. So concepts that oh, yeah. didn't translate. So I'm kind of interested to see which one of those they which ones of those they ended up taking up. But it was kind of like a weird um committee based play of it when we were trying to sort of come up with suggestions that would make people laugh but also like that really like some of them really pushed the boundaries of like what you were prepared to find funny in in strangers company um so yeah, yeah. That was... yeah it's an interesting game in a lot of ways because you can go to really um Politically incorrect places with it, and but you, it is all, it's all, it's always on you. You can also, t- you, you are often deciding the target of the joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, again, Which it's is... a game with a framework for misbehaving. Mm. It gives yeah. you very easily the option to, to go to dark places if you choose. Um, it's weird. But it's, it's up to you how you put those pieces together. What you were saying our... earlier about um, games and board games and video games, because I find that. I kind of miss the human error aspect when you get to video games because they have to take on a lot of the, um, well, they take on all of the presentation and a whole heap of the calculations that you have to make. So that instantly removes a whole layer of stuff. Like when we were playing City of Horror, I was sat there and I had actually sat on several of the syringes that I had (laughs) for the end of the game so that Brendan wouldn't know that I could actually win. (laughs) So that he would still help me. I mean, he didn't because he's insane and unfair. Um, but yeah, like he. Uh, so so there was that aspect. But with a game, you wouldn't have the choice. Like it would either display them as some kind of an on-screen resource, or it wouldn't for everyone, you know. Whereas I was kind of gambling on the fact that everybody else had put theirs on the table in front of them, and I'd sort of sat on half of mine. Yeah. Well, when I played the. Um... I can't remember who makes them, but basically the, the versions on Steam of Magic the Gathering, um, it just rips the soul out of it because there's something like with that game of sitting opposite somebody. I guess it was what you're saying about Netrunner earlier, and just like you know, you got these physical cards and you're playing against them and you're looking at them as you're trying to outwit them and not, them not knowing what you've got. But then as soon as you introduce like this interface and you can't see who you're playing against, and like it's trying to rush you in, there's timers and like this, it's all like flashing, you can't like you can't go to put something down but then like change your mind it's like oh well, can i just undo this can i just fill it with that mm. and it's like it's, it becomes really like soulless and clinical and horrible well, and it doesn't matter how nice they make that interface it's, just, it's never going to work well i think there's a different aspect to that version of magic the gathering for me because i played it as well and i know what you mean but i think for i think it it fulfills a different need in me than the actual analog version simply because that card game online is a way for me to practice and for me to to get used to the rules and to to get into a rhythm of play that is actually way more useful in real life if Mm. you see what i mean Um, and also sometimes i don't want to sit in the opposite person and have to chat to them sometimes i do actually want to, to actually be by myself and be on my own and play a game so that fulfills a different part of my day or my well, week maybe the answer to what we were saying earlier about like the manuals being really hard to understand would be to have the tutorial as a video game in some way like to actually strip out a lot of 
the human error and just say this is how it would work in an ideal world in a vacuum, you know, where you actually played against people who knew what they were doing and weren't exactly trying yeah. to screw you over and then off you go here's a, an actual game of twilight imperium now you try and sort of work out which of your friends are devious bastards <laughs> yeah i mean it could be like atmosphere where it comes to the dvd yeah. <laughs> be like that's hello this is how you play that- this game I don't know if that would be a game that's at the top of my list of, of things to recommend, but yeah, the, that's obviously the, the, the plus and the minus side of playing anything on a computer or as a video game. It will, it will do all the admin for you. It'll do the chores and it'll do them right every time. But yeah. you could arguably lose something. Uh, Space Hulk came out recently as a, as a video game again. I think it's, it's done it before as a video game. Um, and it didn't do terribly well with reviews. Um, and there was a, a critique written by Rob Zachney, who is a big uh, strategy gamer and board gamer. And he was saying part of the what he lost from the game was um, the fact that once all the dice rolling and the movement was automated, you didn't have a huge amount to do. Um, mm. And he felt a lot of the, the flavor of that game came from rolling the dice yourself and making decisions, uh, moving figures around, looking at the layout of the board. And then yeah. as soon as the PC takes that over for you, you just make you click the mouse a few times and stuff happens and you're not as engaged and I found that quite interesting. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting too because I think I think part of why I like Space Hulk the board game is because it is that simple and it is just about the dice and it is just about choosing the direction in which to go and what to do with your dudes and um and it, you know the simplicity of that board game is like why it actually works as a board game. However, some more complex board games, I would actually prefer to be a video game simply because the admin is taken care yeah, of. Because yeah. I find the admin so tiresome. Because you know that you know that you know reading the book and you know and and how many dice rolls like five dice rolls for some moves and you know that sort of thing and i find that very 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 boring i find that extremely dull sounds fair um <laughs> i don't know what to take it after this um did- well i wanted to talk a bit about pen and paper because i think that that's the answer to the economic mm. problem of board games i think uh-huh. that it makes it much more um egalitarian i think that um more types of people can distribute via the internet with these board the, these games um just by you know stuff like fiasco i think is incredibly powerful because people once they understand how fiasco works can mm. actually make their own versions of um fiasco so i think that that's a very strong contender for me for being you know a, a really interesting way to take it i find that really interesting with fiasco and also with apocalypse world there are essentially you know i don't know well in in some cases they, they're like with fiasco it's kind of like they're mods um with apocalypse world they're almost fully fledged games and some people even uh, thanks to a really generous licensing agreement from the uh, copyright agreement from the the owner you can even sell them as well yeah i mean i think it's uh like lady blackbird i was talking about it's just a, it's a really simple idea but you can have such delightful sort of storytelling experiences with it um i think it's a very strong um game and you know you can be anyone you, i mean even even we could make a pen and paper board game together um and iterate over like a number of weeks and then and then put it out and then people could be playing it you know we could get an artist to do art for it and we could make character sheets and it's such a it's such a cool way of, of communicating an idea um 
and it's and it's free. It feels like it's kind of pure design in a lot of ways. In the the we talk about how yeah. like the yeah. requirements to design a video game of lower, but um, compared, but there's still you still have to know your way around a program and know a little bit about coding. For making a, a pen and paper RPG, you need a solid grasp of how the maths will work, and that's about it. And everything else is just you know game design. <laughs> Well, you need you need a solid grasp of how people relate to each other. You need to know what kind of conversations are going to be had over your game, and what and you have to be able to create. I think I think pen and paper RPGs are at their best when they create a problem or a conflict that needs to be resolved. That's interesting, um, and you know you that you do that by setting setting up a situation in which something has has gone wrong, like Lady Blackbird, where they're on the run, or. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like Fiasco is a fantastic framework for that. It it creates a problem that you have to resolve constantly. Fiasco is interesting in that it's it's probably one of the most just improvisational theatre uh, uh, RPGs I've ever played. In that, you know, there's there's very little pushing you in any direction. It really is entire. It really is just a, a very. Well, I yeah. guess like mm. Baron Munchausen is essentially, um, you know, it, it isn't. It's more ga- it's more gamey, I guess you could say, because it you know it, it relies on p- buying people pints and being able to interrupt correctly and 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 that sort of thing. Um, but I think essentially you're competing against yourself and other people, and that's essentially what what fiasco is. It's it's competing against another person to tell a better narrative for yourself. Because essentially, I find. You know, every, everyone is the main character in their own lives, and that's what people—that's how people conduct narrative—is that they think that they're the main character, and so it's it's much more interesting when you've got like five people around a table who think mm. they are the best story yeah. that's, hap- that's happening, and that they they are the most interesting person at the table, and and that's really cool when those personalities combine. I mean, you know, if you if you basically. If you get five egotists sitting at a table, it's fascinating to watch. Well, the thing I love about uh, RPGs as well is the the give and take aspect of it that can't ever be done anywhere else. Um, I've, I've talked, I've already mentioned Apocalypse World several times, but the reason I lo- like that is because it is constant. As as the GM or the or the master of ceremonies, as they call it, you get um, you're constantly directed to ask questions to let the players like design their own world as it goes. The setting background for Apocalypse World is basically non-existence. It's the world. And this is a post-apocalyptic world. How did it end? Why don't you ask everyone else that and you can all decide? Um, and so when someone declares that they, hmm. I don't know, uh, so, so you're constantly asking people, okay, so how do you know him? Where do you live? Uh, things like that. And yeah, and, and you're constantly building the story as they go. Like the one of the main things they say is the motto of it is play to find out what happens. Um, so there's no pre-prescribed ending. It's all um, emergent. It all it all comes from people succeeding at things and deciding what happens to an extent, or them failing at things and you deciding something new. Um, the um, master ceremonies does never roll any dice. Um, just when someone fails, you have a list of things moves that you can pick from, which might be things like they get hurt, but it also might be things like they get captured or two people get split up, or you announce that something bad is happening off off screen uh, that can pushes the plot in different directions. How playable do you think these are over Skype? Because like it's it's rare for me to get around a table with enough people, and when we do, it's we generally just play proper you know proper um, board games with the board. It depends. The rules like ones are easier, I think. Um, I've played a few games of Apocalypse World and variants thereof over Skype. Um, I've also played D and D Fourth Edition over uh, over Roll Twenty, which is a 
tabletop stuff where you joined in for one game of that and mm. I still like parts of the game, but it is too cumbersome and too awkward. It's and too bloated. It's it's very much the AAA game, the only real AAA game of RPGs. Right, Paul. What Hello. do you think of um, iPad games? So far, I've had I think a positive impression. Um, do you think more depends. could be done by learning from you know analog games? Do you think more could be done in iPad gaming that way? Um, I think possibly. What I, I should add as a sort of a caveat that I don't have an iPad, and I've only I only have a rudimentary iPad experience. Okay. But um, on on a large enough tablet, I found games like Ghost Stories, um, which has a, a tablet incarnation, and I think Dominion does run quite well. Um, you. A lot of what we've said before is still relevant. Like you lose elements or you lose some of the tactility, um, and it's obviously usually a smaller surface to play on. It's you know like an A4 size piece of paper instead of a table. Sometimes that's okay. Mm. Um, I don't know. I've, I've got kind of a mixed opinion, but I'd say I'm I'm uh, t- tentatively sort of positive about it so far. Same as I am, I think Memoir 44 or something else appeared on Steam a little while ago, and I was tentatively kind of positive because they might, I don't think it's a brilliant adaptation, and I actually wouldn't advise people to buy it because it charges you to play games, and eventually it becomes more practical to buy just the board game and never pay again. But Mm. if it gets people into gaming and considering board gaming, I kind of feel positive about that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean... I really liked Fingal. Did you play Fingal? I didn't. Oh, no, yes, I did. At, oh, God, yes, I did. Okay. What did you think of Fingal? Bit. Um, I generally quite liked Fingal. It, I think it was a while ago. When did it come out? Was it a while ago Eight now? Ago. I mean, I Fingal? remember. Okay, so Fingal. Fingal is amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Fingal. So Fingal... Try and describe it without sounding rude. Okay. You, it's I can. It's, it's, yeah. you, you use your fingers to um, follow uh, like spots around the screen, so you don't take your fingers off them, otherwise they go back to their original position and you have to start again. But it makes all these suggestive <laughs> moaning noises and it requires two it people like... with their hands on the thing and you end up sort of moving your fingers in between <laughs> theirs rhythmically. And... It's not even yeah. just that. It's like there's like 70s like wah-wah pedal music in the background yeah. and it's rhythmic as well. So essentially you'll constantly find yourself like moving your fingers in and out of the other person's fingers um, <laughs> and constantly around in a circle or brushing their hands in a kind of rhythmic motion and it gets more and more difficult and you have to do more and more spectacular <laughs> positions with your hands and okay, so the, the thing is i want to say i yes i liked it but i immediately feel bad now having said that in light of <laughs> your descriptions of how it's more that it's a really interesting way to approach how to use a surface and what you can do with a surface oh yeah yeah you just read it for the articles <laughs> <laughs> i think i like fingal i mean it it's it's interesting because you I think there are some games well I think as well like if you are playing Fingal you'd have to play it with someone who you're incredibly comfortable with um, for obvious reasons um, yeah, maybe so there has to be a kind of sort of safe space element of it but then if you've opted in it should be okay but it's like one of those things where it is like 
sometimes a little bit more uncomfortable than you would like. Um, but yeah, no, it's a game that plays with interactions in an incredibly interesting way. And I think that it is funny if you're comfortable with the, the premise of it. I, I think it's great. Like, it, and it is difficult. And it's, it's a game that requires you to think about what you're going to do before you do it. <laughs> and perhaps you, you know, you, you would need some form of protection, maybe, <laughs> in, in terms of Purell uh, hand sanitizer. I don't know. I never thought about that before. <laughs> well, welcome to Not A Game Podcast, where I always end up talking about sex for no reason. Um, okay. <laughs> Should we have some questions from Twitter? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, Brian Beck asks, for people whose only games, uh, game reference is Monopoly or D&D, what are some great gateway games to help broaden their minds? I guess for both board games and RPGs. Blimey. Um, I, I feel really bad if I instantly turn this to you guys, but partly... I've got a few ideas, but I'm interested to see what board games okay. got you guys into board games first. Mm. I started on... I went jumped into Sadiq, and I think the first big proper one that I played was Arkham Horror, which oh, wow. is excellent. Um, but like, it was one of the things that I knew that I was going to like it. It's just never having an opportunity to do it. And I think the first board game in day that I went to, we did Arkham Horror and... Um, Chaos in the Old World, is that what it's called? The oh, yeah, one? yeah. Yeah, which is also brilliant. Um, but th- I don't know if they're good gateway games generally because there's quite they're quite rule heavy. Yeah. yeah, I think Cards Against Humanity would be a good uh, yeah. game to play first off. But I did get into board games via um, Dungeons and Dragons. Like that's how I like I, I got like the like books that you could like create a character, roll for character, and then just play through the book. And I quite enjoyed that i mean if you, but it is a massive commitment if you want to play through a whole dungeon with people so it, that might not be a good idea what would you say if i, I think um what would you say if people were trying to get into rpgs if there's any i mean it, it, would you recommend people go for something like lady blackbird then? i think lady blackbird is a really good choice for pen and paper yeah and i what else would i recommend there i think munchausen all of these are really cheap really <laughs> um very simple options i think space hulk actually would be a really, really, really great beginner game. Space it isn't, cheap. but it isn't. But I think it's a really, really simple game. So if you did want to invest in this kind of hobby, I think it's like two hundred quid. It's Is it? I yes. thought it was that expensive. Holy shit! Um, it's out of print, and it's like people. Um, the most boring board game fact that I know is that uh, Space Hawk is so expensive because people buy it just for because it's cheaper to get that than it is for um, the individual Warhammer parts. It's also the second time you've said this on this podcast. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> I, well, maybe if you can get a cheap video game version of Space Hulk, I maybe I don't know. If, is that a good idea? I don't know. No, because appar- apparently it's terrible. Oh, well, horrible. Okay. Um, Pip, what was your? Have you? What was your gateway drug? If you have one. Oh God. Um. Well, like I say, I wasn't allowed to play board games as a child, so I them massively late like my parents wouldn't have them in the house um so yeah like I think the first proper board gaming I did that wasn't stuff like Trivial Pursuit or um or Horrible Horrible Monopoly was um was like Libertalia with you guys oh wow oh I need to play that 
so yeah that was I mean that was really good fun but then yeah I think we so we played that and then we sat back down afterwards and it was like well you know there wasn't really enough time for another game of that so everyone was like well shall we play resistance and I was like what what was resistance this sounds interesting and so yeah. that was that was the game that was the gateway I guess because it was about everybody just sat around a table having fun and shouting at each other and accusing and getting steadily more drunk and it was just yeah it was really social really fun and really easy to grasp like you can just tell someone the rules and as long as somebody who knows what they're doing is the one that says and then who puts their thumb up and you know whatever and you kind of can't go wrong I played Monopoly last night um it's actually quite a good game if you play it by the actual rules and not the rules that everybody's made up. Yeah, the uh, what's, who, who is it? Is the campaign for original rules monopoly thing? Is it Martin Hollis? It's, no, it's it yeah, it, it comes up again and again on the mm. internet because there's um, there'll be a period of a few months or a year or something. It'll come up again, and there will always be new people. It'll suddenly click with them, and people will not realize. Hang on, what am I not doing this correctly? And yeah. it's, it's okay. surprising. Martin Hollis wrote a piece on my blog about how he really liked Monopoly. That was it. That's the thing I was thinking of. Uh. Yeah, like he wrote a thing about, I mean, I'll see if I can find it for you, but it's basically um, how he says that it's an interesting politically speaking. Like it's it's about like financial, like finances and about um, property ownership and things. And that that side of it is actually way more interesting than people give it credit for. Um, but yeah, he was he was saying that it's interesting as a game um, for many different reasons, and he just kind of outlines why he 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 says that he, a lot of game designers will badmouth Monopoly, and he doesn't think that it's actually that bad. So yeah, well, it's interesting. apparently when it was designed, it was designed with that political purpose in mind. I've heard that it's actually yeah. supposed to make a statement about monopolies. Yes, yeah, and uh, interesting. The thing I can't get on with with Monopoly is that everybody seems to have their own house rules. And it's kind of interesting from the point of view of it's real life modding. But at the same time, it makes it impossible to just go and play the game with a different group of people because chances are they'll all be bringing a different sort of understanding of the rules to the table. But yeah, also it just... It's one of those ones where, again, I struggled with the rule book, and so I was just dependent on my sister and my brother telling me, you know, telling me the correct rules and what actually happens when we're out to get a cup of coffee, and they did some, like, sneaky trading while I was out of the room. I was just like, oh, right, well, fine, you somehow own, like, the entire board. And, like, I appreciate this is my own laziness as well coming into into the the equation because I should probably have just read the rule book at that point knowing both of them as I do but I you know I expressed faith and it was not rewarded and that's that's monopoly for you <laughs> I think it would be really interesting if we uh collected some monopoly like house rules and put I them, think it put says them a together. lot about different people's beliefs about what's important and what isn't but yeah yes. I mean maybe that's the thing you could do for a shut up and sit down Paul that's not a bad idea. It's simply a uh, collection of monopoly house rules or something. Yeah, see how people play. See how people play a lot of their games. Um, yeah. We've had a column going up recently about house rules and about um, sort of an ongoing thing about house rules and about house modding. Mm. And it's 
I don't know. It's it's a, a thing that you can do very easily with board games. It's what makes them so personal um, and so sort of fluid, I suppose, is if you sit people around a table, you get to do things with the game that you wouldn't get to do very easily in a video game. Well, I've never got to play Risk Legacy. And isn't that entirely house rules? It's like- it's a game that modifies itself as it goes along, but in ways that you don't necessarily know. And some of the choices are down to you. Some of the choices are down to... Um, Things like you, you finish a battle um, and you have a choice of altering a part of the board, for example. So in a way, it kind of is, yeah. So if anyone has a copy of Risk Legacy, I would really like to play a Risk, Risk Legacy, <laughs> like quite a I, bit. I have also been owning a copy of Risk. It's quite expensive, though, because obviously this this, is... once you've got a copy, you will slowly destroy it over time. Well, yeah. This is my huge problem with board games. They just should not be this expensive. <laughs> this is a very much a case where the, all the interesting things about it, there's no other way to do that, really. Yeah, I mean, my 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 greatest sort of beef with it is that video games will depreciate in value, which is really, really good, because then you can play a board, like a really, really super great game for like a pound, yeah. you know, one day. But board games actually increase <laughs> in, in value, particularly yeah. stuff like Space Hulk over time. And therefore, I find them really frustrating in that manner simply because I mean if you've well, not invested it's like real estate if you've not invested in it now then you're never going to get a copy of it. Well hang on does this mean that Paul's going to be rich in about like five years time? <laughs> oh I hope so. <laughs> Just to deflect that completely Tom um, what was, what's was what been your gateway experiences? I've been trying to think of the ones that um, did it best was probably Citadels. Yes. Uh, which is brilliant it's, it's a very very simple like game in which you build yourself a citadel with all sorts of buildings in it and at the end they'll do various things some of them will make money etc and at the end they'll give you points but um over the top of that is the fact that every round you will get to pick a character um well it's handed the the deck of characters is handed around you get to pick one out and who goes first will uh, changes around and will do, and that will often impact which ones you get to choose from and so basically, you've got these very this very basic rule set up, but then when your character will allow them to break, allow you to break those rules in a really interesting way, and you change every single round. Um, that's what makes it really fascinating. So like, there's the um, uh, and they go in different orders as well. Like the first person to go is always the assassin who can kill one of the player and they don't get a turn. And then like the second one, I think, is the thief who gets to steal one of the player's money. Yeah. Um, oh, I've played then, this. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Whoever gets the king gets to go first, and and also there's like a there's a ton, a ton of alternate cards that you can switch out as well. Um, it's really fascinating, and it's I think a really good introduction to how a lot of my favorite board games work. It's uh, a personal favorite. Even I've had it for quite a while, and I've been playing it a lot, and I still like it. Um, and yeah, Citadels is definitely it's a game that travels very easily because it's very small. It's about the size mm-hmm. of a paperback book. It's a game that I can easily introduce to people in about 15 minutes. Um, and it's, I don't know if it's everyone's perfect gateway game, but for me, it's a game I've, I've never had any failures with introducing people. I think it's a good gateway. It's um, a lot of fun and it has a lot of lifespan to it as well. And it has, the, it has all those, a lot of those great elements, like the, the classic board game thing of setting up simple rules and then allowing some people to break them in certain circumstances. Yeah. And also it has a lot of betrayal. Which, which is always brilliant. Which is, it's not which like I'm going to really order cool. this right after um, the podcast. Uh, well, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a cool thing that we can do. Video games don't do bluffing and 
negotiation and diplomacy as well as board games do, I don't think. And The Resistance is another one, I would say, as a gateway game, which I've, you know, we've mentioned Oh, yeah, that would be another one. We've mentioned it a bunch of times. We already did. Yeah, well, exactly. And we just, you can instantly um, show it to people and they, they get what the concept is because the concept's just cheating and lying to one another. And it's it's really easy to understand and get into. There's a lot of risk management to it as well. So, yeah. I mean, if you, like, um, if you take, like, the guy that gives you absolutely tons of money, um, that's great, but that leaves you vulnerable to, like, being killed by the assassin or having your money stolen by the thief. Uh, or you could play it safe and play someone who can't play one of those characters or play someone who can't be hurt, but then you lose out on all the bonuses. And these are all concepts that the other players uh, pick up really quickly, which is really, really cool. Oh, yeah. The, the other great thing is that some, t- some of the characters will be able to target people, players. You'll just say, I take Craig's money or whatever. But other ones will only be able to target the character. So you'll say, I kill the bishop. And whoever is the bishop will be targeted. So you've got to guess which one they would have picked. <laughs> and there's a chance that the, no one have picked the bishop and he's at the bottom of the deck and you've just wasted your special power. I, I think it's a tremendous uh, intro game. Um, another one I would mention as an introduction, which is always, it's been perennially popular now for a few years, is a game called Seven Wonders, which is kind of really a, car, a city building card game, a bit like Citadels, um, where the players just pass cards between each other, which are resources. Um, and on every turn, you pass cards to the people beside you which are things like they can be stone or as as you go through rounds of the game, there'll be slightly more elaborate things like there'll be a market or there'll be a guild of some sort. And it's very visual. It's very quick and easy to play because all you need to do on your turn really is decide what to build or what to pass around. You lay out loads of cards in front of you and you just want to build a really cool collection of pretty things. But it's got a lot of depth to it, but it's really easy to show people and um, get people playing fairly quickly. And the thing is, it looks really nice as you start to lay stuff out in front of you. And it it reminds people that a board game doesn't have to be a static board like Cluedo or Monopoly, which often looks a bit dull. What we can do with modern board games is make really pretty looking stuff as we start to lay things down in, in card games or tar lane games. And that's a big draw for me, to be honest, is building something that looks really cool on the table which you never really get to do in, in Cluedo. In Cluedo, you just run around a board and go from room to room, and it doesn't look very nice. And I think that's there's a lot to be said for that. Do you know what's a really good game, you guys? Mousetrap. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Did you used to play it and find that half the things wouldn't trigger? I yeah. used to really yeah. like... Um, I used to go around to a friend's house, and she had mousetrap, and so... I really like trying to set up the trap, but like just with other things from around the house. And so you'd end up with this weird, like, Rube Goldberg kind of thing. I think most people just play with it as a toy rather than a game. What's the one that. uh, Is it Zombies? With like three exclamation marks, because they are title games, where you're um, laying down cards and building the city as you go. Oh, yeah, no, I. I'm not a fan of that game at all. I, I, I just, I find it's too hard to kill the zombies. It's just a slog. See, I quite like it because it's that sort of like desperation feeling, I guess. But like, I, I just, I, yeah, like Paul was saying, I like the act of like building the board as you go or like laying things down. Like Carcassonne's another one where you're, you know, laying things down as you go and, and sort of like constructing something and then trying to work out whether you should move the whole thing slightly further along so you're not building off the edge of the table. Yeah. Hopefully we've answered Brian's question. Oh, one more thing I did want to say. Uh, for, for starter RPGs, um, 
various derivatives of Apocalypse World are good. Also, Fate Accelerated Edition, which is very slimmed down. You can put together a character and start playing in a few minutes. So, uh, and also, it's pay what you want. So that's just like no barrier to entry whatsoever. Um, oh, one before I forget, the one uh, the mini games library from Level Ninety Nine Games is like seven really good starter games. Like the, um, it does this really cool thing where the, each of them is just like a pack of cards, hmm. um, but and like you just lay them out and they're all very good and on the back of each one is a qr code and if you scan that with your phone then you get a youtube video with instructions and it's like seven or eight oh, minutes wow, that's really clever and yeah and you just and the, they're so simple to learn and they're absolutely fantastic um a, one that i play with uh my son and wife quite a lot is called master plan where like you you basically have um a hand of cards and you lay them out to uh build like an evil dungeon that each person is trying to get through um, so like you're laying out on the table and you have to get from one side to the other and everybody's building the same base by like laying traps and you it's like the physical things on the board so you like you measure dis- distances by the edge of the card so like you can jump like the short card distance to cut so then you just laying it out and you build this thing that's absolutely brilliant um, and it takes like 50 minutes to play. Do you say one of the other games you mentioned was this part of that as well? Yeah, uh, Infinity Dungeon is part of that. And also Noir, which is like this fantastic uh, two-player like detective game where like one of the players are uh, either a hitman or a serial killer and the other person is playing as a, a detective like trying to deduce who they are and by who they're murdering and thinks it's brilliant. It's like a great little box. <laughs> okay. We should probably answer some more questions before we... I've still got four more to go through. Um, well, this one... Aaron Tunney asks if there's any games on the horizon that you're looking forward to. Um, doesn't specify board or card games, but we do talk about upcoming video games quite a lot anyway. I I can't really think of any, unfortunately. I don't I don't have the same kind of like preview culture, if you know what I mean, for board and um, and uh, RPG board games and RPGs. Well, this is you know this goes back to what Kara said about a bit of a PR problem that. Um... The board gaming community has a pretty good idea of what's coming out next, but it doesn't mm-hmm. uh, market that well beyond itself. I, there's a couple of things I could say. I mean, there's a um, Agricola is a extremely popular classic board game, and it has a sequel um, mm-hmm. called I think Caverna the Cave Farmers, which I'm interested in. Agricola is basically subsistence farming, where each player gets a mini farm board and a tiny, horrible, rickety house. And the idea each turn is, first of all, you've got to feed your family, which is quite hard. But hopefully you can collect animals and build little pens and uh, furrow fields. And believe it or not, if you get vegetables, you're doing incredibly well. Um, so cave farmers will probably be just people licking mold off rocks, and that's how they survive. But the, the game mechanics are very good, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and there's something called Roads and Boats, which has been around for a while. I've never played it. It feels like a follow-up to Trains. Well, you know what? <laughs> um, it is a game about infrastructure. And again, putting down lots of hexes on on your uh, table. And gradually, um, I think you get farm animals. You start getting roads and boats and connecting and having a kind of a civilization and trying to build a, a successful economy. And it looks really, really pretty. It looks very complex, though. It's got hundreds of playing pieces. Apparently, there's an old version out there somewhere that you can't get, so it's being re-released with shinier, sexier components. Um, but you don't you don't hear that much about what's coming up. What what I've heard a lot about is obviously there's a new version of D and D coming, and oh, tests yes, are going around. And I don't know if I'm that excited about that because from what I've seen of the play tests, um, 
a bit like the fourth edition. There's a lot of combat-focused stuff in there. But it, yeah. I don't know if it's much about role-playing. When third edition came out, it had a whole, arrange, a whole array of skills. And, you know, you can play different characters who might be excellent fighters, or they could be negotiators, or they could be diplomats. And then fourth edition was basically about hitting stuff. And that's, again, like we were saying earlier, that's kind of only half of a role-playing experience. Yeah, I mean, I find it really interesting playing fourth edition Eberron campaign. And I was a, I was a bard in it, um, naturally, because I was playing with people who were like, oh, Kara's a writer, she should do all the stuff about like stupid songs and writing ditties. And I was like, thanks, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't actually make a rhyme to save my life. So essentially it turned out turned out that every single spell that I had to cast was me making up either um quite a damaging array of insults for a monster wow. or um or trying to write something that was that rhymed, which eventually I was just like, Can I just do it in blank verse? I mean I <laughs> have no idea how to make a song. And then they and then they would insist that I would sing it to them. <laughs> And I was like, there's no way I'm singing this. I just look at it. Look how terrible it is. And they're like, no, sing it or the monster is not injured. So <laughs> that was Yeah, when we uh, played for this from one of our guys out of the bar and he had, um, he found a, a sheet of uh, assemble your own Shakespearean insult. <laughs> <laughs> um, calling people the thou viscous pruny and things like that uh, every time you use. Because, yeah, their, their basic powers are things like vicious mockery. Yes. <laughs> This um, isn't the usual kind of stuff you tend to do. In, I mean, this is great, but it's yeah. not what the rules system seems to be for, does it? It's it's a bit strange. I think, to be honest, I think D and D has always been a combat game to some extent. And you're you're right that third edition probably had uh, had skills that would cover a lot more things, but that's because it was also a weird fantasy sandbox simulator in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, it's bizarre um, that. <laughs> D and D is essentially a combat simulator because um, you're right. Because actually, when I play D and D, I find the most frustrating, really awful, annoying part of it is, in fact, the process of trying to kill something in it. Mm. And I find that that is the most frustrating, really annoying part of D and D, and what takes the most time as well when you're trying to wipe out a room. And it's also coincidentally what I hate about World of Warcraft. I do not like <laughs> combat in it. I like the the fact that I'm making my own narrative and I'm interacting with other people. Um, so essentially what I feel should happen in D&D is that it should go back to its pen and paper roots and essentially become <laughs> Lady Blackbird. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, to be honest, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't like the look of the index much myself. I think it's tried to simplify things, but I don't think it's done so in an interesting or particularly sensible way. Um, I think the thing is going to be a lot of bangs flat. Everything dies really quickly, which is probably good, but they haven't necessarily given you any more options. It's it's just it's it's just made it less interesting. And especially the Dindy has this weird thing where you know wizards can end the world with a thought, and fighters are reasonably good at hitting things with a stick. Um, which isn't oh. it, it's, it's crap making a co-op game where half of the people just aren't as good as the other half. It's always had a scaling problem. Um, I used to play a lot of second edition when I was, uh, when I was younger, because I'm very old. And, um, yeah, you, you got a sort of a weird level scaling system where at lower levels, fighters were very effective and wizards were useless. And it, it used to turn on its head. Um, which ma- makes going through a campaign alternately exciting and frustrating for different people around the table, which yeah. is a shame. Um, and actually, I did think of something I was looking forward to. Um, a friend of mine who is the guy who, 
I mean, you know, everyone has the guy who always buys the board games. Uh, it's, I suppose that's you for everyone else. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Matt, thank you. Very, thanks for all the board games. Um, has he's very very into following like um, things like up and coming RPGs on Kickstarter. And I know there's a couple that he's ordered that haven't he hasn't got his hands on yet, even though I think they're being released about now. Which is Torchbearer by Luke Crane, the guy who did Mouse Guard. Oh yeah. Which is I don't know uh, about that. Yeah, it's basically it is basically very old-fashioned D and and sort of like crawling through caverns trying to find gold, and and it's quite a big emphasis on the idea of the fact that for the most part RPG heroes aren't the epic adventurers they are presented to be. They are like vagrants who kill things for money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sounds quite interesting. And also uh, Last Stand, which is um, a, a more rules-heavy game in which you um, play as a bunch of uh, soldiers defending the Earth from alien attack by tearing the bits off alien monsters and sticking them to yourselves. Oh <laughs> Which sounds hilarious. <laughs> um, Paul, is the... I heard that there was a Firefly game coming out, which has me interested. Does anybody know if it's any good? It's coming from a, uh, a board game manufacturer who have a good reputation. Um, I don't know much more about it except, first of all, any sort of big license in board gaming. This is really cynical, but any big license <laughs> often makes board gamers a bit suspicious because some of the biggest licenses aren't always tied to the best games, a bit like in video games, and they don't need to be to sell because if Mm. you like a license, um, people will buy stuff that's associated with a big license. It doesn't necessarily have to be a great game. But uh, I think the people making it have a fairly good reputation. Beyond that, I couldn't tell you more, but that the reputation of the studio for me is worth, worth way more, so it could actually be pretty good fingers crossed um i was just thinking it's it's not quite board games but there's also uh the tiny games collection for iphone that's coming out later this month as well so that's like lots of physical games that you can play you know just like lots of little rule sets and you can just pick them up in in a few seconds and and sort of play them with whatever's to hand. Like, I think they've got different sections, like, you know, are you waiting in a queue for something? Like, things that you might be able to do to sort of pass the time there, and it's kind of that... I guess that... that It's not... Obviously, it's not a board game, but it's got a lot of the ideas that come out of sort of social playing. Yeah. So I think maybe it goes back to the question that um, that person was asking about introductory games. Like, if you've got a smartphone and are looking for interesting ways to kill time without just sort of sticking your face in Bejeweled again, then that might be a a good thing to to invest in. I think it's later this month, maybe? Certainly before the end of the year, anyway. Um, Also from Aaron, who says, um, there's been some very successful board games on Kickstarter. Do you feel that Kickstarter has been a good thing for gamers? Um, I think I, I think Kickstarter has been good for the games industry generally and for video games, but it's been incredible for board games and RPGs. I think that, as you said, as you were saying before, Paul, they they have a PR problem. They don't they they hadn't really connected to people in 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 a big in a big fashion over the net, and I think Kickstarter has ended up serv- serving as much as a publicity portal as it does as a fundraising endeavor. It's given them a lot more visibility, and there have been some tremendous. Um financial kickstarter successes uh, as there have been for video games um some people have been a bit more reserved i'm not yet sure what i think of the end result i actually think it's great that they've they've got people looking at video games uh, looking at board games and i'm really pleased for that um 
some of the board games that have come out of Kickstarter have been better than others, I think. Generally, board games are really, really uh, heavily trialed. They're prototyped. They're very easy to prototype. You can just cut out tokens, mm. play something on your desk pretty much right away. But um, the advantage that Kickstarter gives people is they don't need to throw them through a publisher and get them really, really heavily tested. And the downside is they may not be as well tested. That's true. I, and if, if you're thinking about it well, though, on the one hand, they do have a captive audience and their backers who they can use to like test things. That's the ideal situation is uh, hopefully some of them will be able to you know, distribute their rules among people. And part of the idea is uh, the proof of concept can be actually saying to people, OK, here's, here's draft one of the rules. Um, I'm a little reserved about some of them because we've tried one or two for Shut Up and Sit Down and had mixed results. We tried one called The New Science a little while ago, which was a big Kickstarter success. Um, and our opinion was it's not bad, it's kind of okay, but it didn't feel that exciting. Um, and it didn't feel, it felt like it was sort of three quarters of the way to being an interesting game. Um, there was a noir based. Uh, card game that was kickstarted a while back, which I forgot to contribute to, but me- always meant to. But I think it's James Wallace that's doing it. Is that right? Oh, yeah, Paul? yeah, the, the the Vegas based one, I think. Yeah, it's it looks good. I'm excited about it, and I think because I think James Wallace is a good designer as well. Yes, he's got a good reputation. Uh, I definitely agree with you there, and he's um, he's not. I don't know if he's really particularly as famous as he might deserve to di- to be because he's I, yeah. the, the Munchausen guy. I he feel also... like he, he deserves to be slightly more renowned or famous or celebrated or something. Definitely. But he doesn't blow his own trumpet, really. He just gets on with making games. Yeah. Perhaps I should do more as a journalist to rectify this. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Perhaps it's, it's a fault uh, not in our stars. I have no problem with more people sort of writing about video uh, board games. And if I could even say board, I instantly default to <laughs> saying video games. You see, this is this is a problem. Video um. games. <laughs> Wrong podcast, Kara. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, Tom Burmeister asks. Um, this one very much for Paul. Are shows like the IT Crowd, which just did a board game vlog joke, and the Big Bang Theory teasing, insulting, or celebratory? Oh. Um... I'm not a very big fan of the Big Bang Theory for reasons that other people have already come across mm. uh, or other people have already mentioned, which is it fe- doesn't feel very much like it's actually in tune with our culture or what we write about. It's more like someone is trying to throw in references at which point the audience laugh at them. There's a, a couple of YouTube videos of, of the Big Bang Theory with the laugh track removed. And there'll just be something like Sheldon saying, I'm going to get my N64, and then everyone laughs. And that's not funny. It's not funny that someone has an N64. What you're either doing is you're laughing for the sake of it, or you're just laughing at the concept of games, which is really kind of mean and silly to me. Um, so it I'm afraid... It has a concept I'm... of geek culture that feels almost like an old like Hanna-Barbera cartoon, you know? Yeah, it is. It feels so out of step with current anything. I remember yes. watching the beginning of it, and I, I, I guess I appreciated that there was more than just. In, in, in I think in, in days in, in days gone past, Sheldon would have been the only geek character in the show. If you know what I mean, everyone would have been like that. And it tries to portray the other guy whose name I forget as a more reasonable Leonard. person, but yeah, Leonard as like a, a more understandable, normal geeky person. But they do that by making him incredibly self-loathing. 
Uh, and that's yeah, that kind of rubbed me up the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, my friend Alice uh, tends to describe the whole of geek culture as being a culture that's based around finding, uh, recognizing things as being funny. Like the actual act of recognizing a thing that you're like, oh my god, that's from Battlestar Galactica, ha ha ha. Um, that kind of thing is um, is what she thinks that geek culture is is often too obsessed with, and she's right. I think that that part of what the Big Bang Theory is like saying about us is actually kind of embarrassingly correct. But I am not given to watching an entire show based around laughing at that. I think that yeah. is actually kind of cruel. Yeah, um, and, and it doesn't I, I, represent the world that I know anyway. Yeah, and that's it. It it doesn't. Um, whereas I, I would say the IT crowd feels more like the 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 humor in the IT crowd comes from people doing things that are funny or awkward or not from them necessarily being mm. who they are or doing what they do with their interests. It's more um, not quite being socially adjusted. There's there's nothing in the IT crowd I think that mocks somebody liking computers. Or liking yeah. games, and the um, the special recently, which had the game board uh, thing, which again looks like some not so great board game stuff on the internet. The thing is, the IT crowd always feels researched. I, I think what Graham Linehan does is he he has an he likes video games, he likes board games, he knows what's out there, and he's not just saying, "Oh, we need to men-. like um, Big Bang Theory hits all the most common markers. Let's mention Nintendo. Let's mention Talisman because it's a really well-known board game. It's like the researchers went to Google and they Googled the most popular board game. The actual jokes in the IT crowd, the jokes in the, the latest special, um, reference things that people who are into that would actually would hit and go, oh, that, that feels like someone's actually spent some a little bit of time to write about something that I can actually understand. And they're not laughing at me, they're kind of laughing yeah. with me. And because I think it's because Graham Linehan actually has taste in those things. Yes. Like, his taste comes through the writing, which is way more interesting than yes. someone saying, that, like, name-checking Spider-Man and saying, ha-ha, you know. And it's just like, well, everyone knows about Spider-Man, but, like, can, you know, maybe we could talk about something else that's, like, way more interesting instead. Well, it feels like there's subtlety in in the IT crowd as well, it, it, and this feeds into what you're saying, and it, it's because I think that Graham Linehan sort of writes almost from from within the scene, whereas I get the impression yes. that with the Big Bang Theory, it's, yeah, like you say, it looks like they've kind of looked at geek culture from the outside and gone, well, these are some things, and then maybe if they need, like, an actual example of an argument that one might have regarding... Batman and something, you know, they'll go to, I don't know, some internet comments for like a particularly sort of detailed, not particularly of interest to the vast majority of, of people who play games or read comic books or whatever, and just copied and pasted it wholesale and just done it in a really nerdy voice. Yeah, can you imagine how embarrassing it would be if someone read out uh, on television some of the comments on uh, GTA trailers? Like, have you seen that Tumblr? It's so freaking embarrassing. Like, that's basically what the Big Bang Theory is. It's like someone reading out GTA comments Well, it's basically on air. the sort of comments which start, I think you'll find, and then yeah. just copy and paste the rest of that and, and use it as dialogue. And I, you yeah. know... I used to just like have Big Bang Theory on in the background sometimes when I was like pottering around the house or whatever. Mostly because I really like the bare naked ladies and so the tune I really liked. Um, and so, yeah. you know, and and some of it did actually make me laugh, but the 
like the the characterization is not is awful it's just because not it's interesting not, it doesn't say anything interesting to me it's no. not only like really mean to geeks but it's also ridiculously mean to women as well i don't find it particularly i just i think that penny is awful i don't mm. like her not- there was one episode where she got massively into warcraft i think and then yeah, but it's that, of- but that's but that's she a laugh sort of internalized she's not supposed geek to. culture and she mm. ended up like not washing for days. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's awful. Um, but do you know the thing that really bugged me about that was because I was just sat there and I was just like, well, I did cancel my Warcraft subscription because I did sort of stop shopping for food because I wasn't awake at normal times and maybe I didn't have as many showers as I could have in that time. And perhaps there was a certain amount of eggnog that shouldn't have been drunk while in front of a computer. But it just, you know, it was just like, I wish I wasn't a cliche. (laughs) It's not not written from that insider perspective. It's written from an outsider perspective where the audience is specifically laughing at that. Yeah, I think Paul's very much going right in that. Like the, the IT crowd special, the um, uh, the joke is not that he's making a board game review show. The joke is that it's bad. Yeah, yeah. The joke is that he's he's awkward and bad at speaking in public and and being on camera, and that would be that joke would work no matter what he was doing, mm. no matter what subject his his YouTube show was about. Yeah, I mean, like regardless, uh, I would still marry Moss. <laughs> I would marry Moss and take him home. But would you though? Are you sure you don't want the Thought and Read version with the, the awesome mustache? <laughs> <laughs> no. But I did like when he wore a beret. Do you remember when he was on Countdown and wore a beret? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he's got a problem that involves berets. I, I really do. <laughs> I do. Oh, men in berets, Tara. Come on, <laughs> get it together. <laughs> All right, uh, one last question then before we stop. Also from Tom Burmeister. Um It's probably the most interesting one as well. Do the panel have, not to put down anyone else who asked the question there, it's just, wow. but, um, <laughs> I'll cut that. Um, do the panel have any suggestions of analog games to use teaching principles of game design to secondary school kids? Wow. <laughs> See, I told you it was interesting. I, I, have, I have one. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Essentially, um, at Little Loud, we built a game uh, that was uh, essentially a board game, but for our iPads. Um, that was was teaching um, some principles of design, I guess, but also um, teaching about um, the structure of bullying. So um, essentially, it was about the fact that you know, if you if you're a teacher in a classroom and you ask everyone to shut their eyes and uh, and you say, okay, now put your hand up if you have been bullied, and the entire class will put their hand up, and then you're like, okay. Now put your hand up if you ha- you are a bully or you've ever bullied anyone, and there are no hands. <laughs> and so essentially, what that's saying is actually everyone bullies each other to a different extent. Um, everyone thinks of themselves as a victim, but they will never ever think of, of, of themselves as being the bully. Um, so that we constructed a game for Channel Four where we essentially um, looked at um, having a kind of scoreboard. Uh, mechanic and essentially you go around the board and then you'd face face off with another um, another person at school and then someone would end up being the winner or the loser depending on like the situation and the outcomes um, and then basically it was to teach about um, the essential way that bullying works as a kind of mechanic so yeah that kind of taught both I think 
But I don't know whether it worked out or not. I don't know whether it's a very good game simply because it hasn't managed to come out because this allowed closed. So not sure what what's happening with that. I think it got sent to Channel 4. Well, there's probably something to be said for games that aren't that good for still being able to teach mechanics in insofar as bad writing can teach you what to not yeah. write. Well, like Mousetrap. <laughs> well, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's actually quite valid. Don't, don't make board games based on a lot of uh, physical components that might not interact very well together. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, I would, if I was picking stuff, I would always pick stuff that's really, really simple, um, like a really simple tile-length game like Carcassonne or a simple social game like The Resistance and say, look, here's the foundation of good game mechanics is not lots of different elements. It's a few fundamental elements that you put together in different ways. And you can build yeah. on that if you want to, but you don't have to. Yeah, I would have gone with something like Resistance as well because it teaches a very specific kind of, uh, very specific and often used you know, design mechanic very well. Maybe not um, werewolves as well. Yeah, that's a good point. It might be interesting getting people to reverse engineer like uh, video games as board games, like sort of try and imagine how that works to sort of at least have some appreciation of or, or critical perspective, I guess, because oftentimes when you look to comments and things, I'm not saying this is universal, but often you sort of look in and, and, and you see that a lot of people seem to be approaching games from the point of view of, um, I like it and it seems to work, therefore it's great, or something about it isn't working and I can't quite see what it is, therefore it's terrible. And and it's kind of, you know, anything that would sort of help people unpick things a bit better might be interesting. There yeah, is I... a lot, yeah, to be said for that, I think. And um, apparently more and more video games designers are looking, when they're trying to recruit other designers, they're looking for people who've already tried board games or board game design or simpler, simpler designs, you know, on paper, just to understand their ability to take stuff apart or reverse engineer and... Um, yeah. yeah, there was. I was at a um, a board game convention in Birmingham a few months ago, and they had a, ga- a board game jam there, which worked by basically telling, giving people a copy of a board game and saying, "Use these parts, make a new, different." Oh game yeah, game. yeah. Um, over the course of a weekend, which was really interesting. Um, I, unfortunately, I didn't see it. See what they came up with. I know a lot of um, games designers who use board games or like paper prototyping, as it's yeah. called, to actually um, make sure the game mechanics work before they invest time on like fancy graphics and all that stuff. So it's like, you know, lossless games games design where you you are essentially figuring out the function of everything before you actually put it in game, which is essentially what we do. We did a lot at um, at Little Loud as well. We just we, you know we drew squares on paper and made little dudes and <laughs> and then just kind of. I mean, I. I guess to a certain extent as well. There's um in London there was recently a MOBA game jam, a, a MOBA board game jam, where everyone essentially made a board game out of a a, a battle arena type video game. Caro, we agreed to call them lane pushing games. Ooh. LPGs. <laughs> Haven't you read the Not Game Podcast style guide? Sorry. <laughs> it's not. I it, it has two lines. Good. One is they're called LPGs. The other is don't say hype. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, we haven't said hype enough this episode at all. Also, like for some reason, we have to not say <laughs> anymore or something. I don't know. We established this like a few episodes away. I think it's more uh, that the words that tend to feature around <laughs> that then get bleeped yeah. out, and then the whole thing just ends up being. <laughs> yes. 
Making it sound like we're we're saying inappropriate things about the man, and we're really not. <laughs> we're you know we would we would never. He he's lovely, and also he commissions me, so everyone shut up. <laughs> I'm going to bleep all mentions of his name, and every editor is going to go, "Who the fuck is she talking about?" <laughs> it's fine, as long as we avoid libel. <laughs> but yeah, like I I think it works better with things like um, the term based strategy and things, obviously, where yeah. where you're not depending on the the actual mechanics like you know a first person shooter you wouldn't like necessarily paper prototype that but when it's a turn-based thing it it helps to sort of strip out all the extra things that the computer would do for you just check that there's something fun at the core of the experience who was it i heard of who did that it was that oh it's the guys who made dragon commander because they have like a turn-based map as well as a real-time thing and they they made a board game as their prototype but then they continue to make the board game and put it in the special edition of the game which was really cool. Dragon Commander did it and uh, apparently Firaxis did it to some degree with their remake of XCOM and the, the... Why didn't they just release that? <laughs> I Did they? I don't know. They... I know, I was no. just going to say, I mean, I would have totally bought a special edition of XCOM that came with XCOM the board game. Apparently that was something they did. They they um, imagined some of it as working with board game elements and now the, the new XCOM expansion that's coming out... Um, called The Enemy Within. One of the designers on that is a guy called uh, Ananda Gupta, who yeah. has designed a game called Twilight... He's one of the designers behind a game called Twilight Struggle, which is currently the top-ranked board game on Board Game Geek. So uh, it's a board game that came out about the Cold War about seven or eight years ago, and it's got an enormous reputation. In it. Very often, whenever there's a reprint, it just sells out. It's very, very popular. And he's one of their uh, one of their game designers. It was interesting talking to, because um, I talked to someone from Fantasy Flight and someone from, I can't remember, who was it who made the Bioshock uh, Infinite board game? Oh, it might be Fantasy Flight. No, oh, then I'm thinking of someone else then. Um, you know what, oh, yeah. it might be Played Hat Games, actually. Yes, that's the one, uh, Played Hat Games. Uh, they were, um, I was talking to them for a thing on Wired about converting uh, video games to board games. And it was interesting uh, what they were saying about, you know, how you have to sort of consider the audience differently and stuff. And it, it made me think of very much the fact that when you're sitting around playing board games, that's a feeling that I used to get when people came around and played N64 stuff with me. You know, yeah. very much the sort of sitting around on the sofa, like having a laugh with your friends. And then it got a bit, not exactly meta, but there was this weird point where you'd play sort of Mario Party and stuff, so you'd kind of be playing a board game on a video game, and that was kind of, it was a bit weird because it kind of flagged up the disjunct between between the two, actually. You know, I think there's think. a lot for the growth of board games that has come from the, the loss of, uh, we miss sitting around a console, like you say, mm. we miss sitting around the Xbox and playing together, because we'd just play, we'd play Halo Online now, we wouldn't play it split screen. Well, that's the thing, like, because um, me and uh, Simon and a few other friends, um, and Cara, actually, we were talking about maybe having a LAN party at some point, just because yeah. it, it would just be so nice to actually play some of the games that we all play just remotely over Skype yeah. and still have a really good time. But it's different from, like, the fact that when you're sat there and someone's just killed you, you could actually just throw Doritos at them or something, <laughs> you know? It's, 
My yeah. favorite ever, yeah. ever thing that ever happened was when we had this amazing, huge, great big LAN and it was um it was just purely for Dota, original Dota. And mm. um my like a friend of mine, Carl, used to get really upset when we killed him too much. Mm. And um and sometimes that would mean that we would just purely pick on him to see what he would do. <laughs> and at this one in this one case, um someone was just like oh call like why haven't you gone on this lane or something like this and just was really um like oh you should you should just switch off your pc or something and he did just switch off his pc <laughs> but the, the the best thing about that was is that if he'd done that at home we would have just lost contact with him but he was right in the center of the room <laughs> and everyone just stared at him for ruining the game <laughs> and we just saw it and he just suddenly realized he was there and we were all like call why did you do that he's like you told me to switch off and we were just like, pot, like oh what it was just so bad so we just threw like biscuits at him for ages at, at the international three in seattle the best the single best bit of that the mo- most fun was when the pro players had like their all-stars tournament and it was kind of it wasn't part of the actual tournament so they just they were all sat there and in, in these sort of soundproof booths but the doors were wide open the commentators were being completely partial and being like he's over there no go up up a bit to the right <laughs> no just take if you guys come round to this and they were like properly picking on each other and like taunting each other in chat in game chat and stuff but it was just like it was the most fun and you can kind of really see that kind of personal yeah. Um, joy of playing games with each other. That is, I think that's partly why games feel like they're having a resurgence because I miss that. It's entirely because I miss that. You understand? <laughs> Not because the world misses that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, as well, like playing Sven co-op was the best thing ever in the same room together. And I remember like a, some they were doing like a Resident Evil version of Sven co-op, which is so <laughs> stupid. Like it was the entire room was silent because it's kind of a scary, intimidating mod. And then essentially, like they were all in, like they were wading through some water or something, and a giant shark came out and started mauling them all from nowhere. And the shark looked ridiculous. But the fact that they were in this atmosphere all together and in the same room, as soon as someone went ah, everyone else went ah, oh my god, it's just the most funny thing to witness. That is brilliant, though. <laughs> I remember at uni as well, like one of my friends used to play scary games and he wasn't very good with them. And so I used to just sort of sit on his bed and he'd be playing this game. And then like he'd kind of get so absorbed in the game that he'd forget that I was there and every so often I'd like, like reach out and just tap him on the shoulder and he'd scream. <laughs> Which was the best thing. And yeah, you just don't get that when you're on Skype. <laughs> Although you do get like me singing or yelling at people, so <laughs> anyway, should we wrap up? I feel like we've probably gone massively over. Yeah, it's been quite long, but I think it's all been pretty interesting. I hope I can afford to host this. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.